0: The Metaverse is emerging as the next big technology platform and promises to be the next frontier for human experiences on the internet. Into the Metaverse covers companies, technologies, and trends that are bringing these promises to life. Join creator and host, Jonathan Ross Friedman, founder and CEO of SuperSocial, as he interviews the brilliant minds that are building, shaping, and investing in the Metaverse. Welcome to episode 23 of Into the Metaverse, where we help make sense of the metaverse through deep interviews with the brilliant minds who build, create for and invest in the metaverse. I'm Jan and joining me today is Jake Brookman, founder and CEO of CoinFund, a Web3 and crypto-focused investment firm and registered investment advisor. The firm invests in seed venture and liquid opportunities within the blockchain sector with a focus on digital assets, decentralization technologies and key enabling infrastructure. CoinFund, Portfolio include Dapper Labs, Rarible, Messari, Republic, and Genies, among others. I think there's a great portfolio over there to talk about. Jake, we are at a very interesting juncture with regards to blockchain and crypto technologies, and I'm delighted to have you on the show today.
1: Hi, Jan. Thank you so much for having me. To be here. As
0: always, just to clarify, everything discussed on the podcast today is not a financial advice. Content is strictly educational and is not investment advice or a solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. So Jake, as we continue to build an evolving consensus around what the metaverse is, the first question that i like to ask each of our guest speakers and really kind of creating this diversity of opinion on the show is what is the metaverse to you, to your best understanding? How do you think about the metaverse? And also perhaps not less important, what do you think the metaverse is not?
1: I think the metaverse is a shared digital space, like broadly defined. And if you take that broad definition and we've been living in the metaverse since, you know, probably like the nineties or so, like in IRC, in chat groups, text messages and video calls and social media and so forth. But I think what gave the metaverse its second wind, so to speak, is this idea that crypto and blockchain can financialize it, can create like the ability for people to have an economy within this digital space. What I think the metaverse is not is what it sounds, which is just like virtual reality where it comes together. So I know that's the picture that a lot of people sort of have in their mind, but I think there are many different communication modalities that you could have within the metaverse. Some are text, some are visual, some are three-dimensional, Some are just sound, like in the case of Clubhouse or Twitter Spaces. And it's not so simple to just call it a VR space.
0: So we talk a lot about it on the podcast that the, the metaverse is not a device, right? It's device agnostic. We're going to be able to access metaverse experiences through multiple devices through all sorts of touch devices, mouse-enabled devices, even autonomous vehicles, whatever, wherever we can have technology as a gateway to access the metaverse. And so I think a lot of what you're saying, we definitely subscribe to. I do want to double click on one thing you've mentioned, which is the financialization piece. Why do you believe it's so important that there is that sort of financialization and that in the next iteration of the internet, there is the ability for users to own elements of a platform versus a corporate owned platform, which is by definition, majority of the use cases in the web 2.0 era.
1: A few reasons. So one reason is that every shared digital space that we've had so far has been somehow facilitated by a middleman. So when you think about IRC, you had IRC servers. When you think about Facebook, you have Facebook posting, the social media world that you're in, and in a sense like financialization comes with the adoption of decentralization technologies that allow you to actually have a metaverse that is not facilitated by a middleman. It exists sort of between the participants. And the other reason why financialization is important is because it creates this incredible business opportunity, just like in the early days of the internet, When we got the World Wide web, this created an incredible opportunity and ended up changing the world in many different ways from how we communicate to how we make payments, to how we date and so forth. The same type of opportunity is available to the metaverse through financialization. And finally, being in a trend of what we call web three now, I think the metaverse just really fits neatly into that trend.
0: Yeah, for sure. It also creates a lot of irrelevant noise. And I think one of the things that also as a builder in the space, I find quite captivating in the moment is that the hype has sort of subsides a bit, right? It's kind of declined. I just tweeted a few days ago saying there's never been a better time to build, 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 because now we can actually see a bit more of the builders who are in it to win it and really want to build something phenomenal over the next five, 10, 15 years. Versus the, for lack of a better description, and I don't know if that's the right description, that sort of incredible incentive of being in the space during 2021 and the first few months of 2022, which was really driven by just making a great financial upside, which is not a bad thing, but doesn't necessarily attract people who are in it to really build meaningful experiences, which is ultimately in the long-term, what's going to drive the space forward.
1: Well, I think it's a catalyst for change also right well so there's a few things to say like one one thing that we always talk about in crypto world for example the ico boom of 2017 this like quite exuberant bubble of people investing in many projects that were not really destined to make it is always seen as this very negative thing it's like oh this was sort of a, a waste of you know people see bubbles as a waste of capital but actually in crypto i would argue that is is quite the opposite, right? Like if we did not have the ICO boom of 2017, a lot of the money that was earned by retail investors in that event would not have been reinvested in DeFi. We wouldn't have had the DeFi summer of 2020 and the DeFi summer of 2020 was exuberant. And if it wasn't, then a lot of the money that was made during that period of time wouldn't have been reinvested in the nft space and the uh, people wouldn't have been buying digital nft art that ultimately led to the february 2021 inflection that you're referring to and so i think that the difference between these bubbles and maybe like bubbles that have that have come before is that it blockchain has democratized investment in some of these companies and that's what enabled this sort of like reinvestment And it was also bolstered by the fact that the traditional world wasn't ready to accept uh, Bitcoin and blockchain and, and digital asset technology quite then. If you remember, I think it was early 2018 when everyone was waiting for Bitcoin ETFs and futures and they kept getting turned down by the SEC. I just remember this one moment where it felt like the space was like, ah, Well, screw growing that way. We're just going to reinvest the capital into crypto native opportunities. And that's what caused some of this growth. And the other reason why it creates opportunities, I think, look at the traditional gaming studios right now. People talk a lot about how gaming is sort of the next leg of NFT growth, but there's reason to be skeptical about that because if you actually go and talk to traditional gaming studios. The vast majority of them don't really want to have anything to do with it. Like their, their customers don't have product fit with NFTs. They see it as a predatory thing. Companies are not ready to take that risk of incorporating NFTs and maybe failing. And in fact, some companies are banning NFTs from their their platform, like Microsoft did the other day. But then if there's one company that is willing to adopt it, then it creates this crazy arbitrage this crazy opportunity for someone to really get it right and leave everyone else behind and when I think about that I think about Tesla and what Elon has done 10 12 years ago building electric cars was seen as a by traditional car manufacturers well they're not laughing anymore
0: um, they've looked at it as a joke up until up until three four years ago right, right. they looked at it as a joke for a decade while he's built a moat with all of the infrastructure, you said a couple of things that I think are interesting. I'd like to echo the hypothesis you shared, which I find it really interesting, and it makes a lot of sense. And just to reiterate for the listeners, that basically what you're saying is, and and I think it's a deterministic approach, right? Which is, it's just natural part of the cycle, and there's a lot of advantages for what happened with the. ICO boom in 2017 and what happened with DeFi and then NFTs. And of course, it's all convoluted because of the macro financial environment, right? In 2017, Mm. there was nothing wrong in the macro environment. So the, 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 ooh, ah, what a mess wasn't that big. It was just a lot of issues people had with the ICO boom. Now it's just convoluted because of just so many things that are happening at a macro level. Natural disasters, the Ukraine war, you have the financial uncertainty in the stock market. So there's just a lot of things. And on top of that, all that greed. But I find your theory very interesting. And time would tell if it really consistently continues to be that. Not that I hope for anyone to continue and have these bad outcomes and crypto winters, but I did want to call it out. And I think it's an interesting hypothesis. The other thing you mentioned, and this is a bit closer to home because of my other hat as founder and CEO of SuperSocial and obviously looking at a lot of games game companies, both the traditional one, which you're not wrong, right? They're shying away from that. And look at Ubisoft, they launched something. They were literally hammered by their community. I think they got 90% negative reviews of their YouTube trailer on YouTube, which is ridiculously like, I've been talking about product market fit and serving your customers. And I think to a large extent, in my mind, the status is that a lot of the core audience of AAA, PC games, the gamers themselves are just not subscribed to yet to the value proposition of what decentralization, user-owned, digital asset that they own, et cetera, et cetera. It may or may not happen. The question is, when does that happen? And to your point, yes, there may well be a Tesla that comes in. You know, I hosted Paul Bettner, who is the CEO of the Wildcard Alliance, which I'm sure you've seen the project. Very exciting episode. We talked about a lot of that and why he finds this interesting. But Paul had an interesting story, which is he's been working on the Wildcard Alliance for four or five years. He hasn't started it as a kind of quote-unquote Web3 game project. And he layered the value of the protocols, which is to be seen how it drives forward the project and the community. But I do think there's a lot of experiments. I just call out, and I don't know what's your point of view, and we can move on from that topic afterwards, but I just call out that I'm just wondering how many MMORPGs in general, the gaming community requires, let alone specifically in web three. So I see all of those shots on goal. And I think it's interesting to see what, how this will play out and does a MMORPG. With a web three infrastructure is the right modality to onboard the first billion people. I, I don't know the answer.
1: I'm personally actually skeptical that you know, of that gaming thesis being the next leg of NFT growth. I mean, mm. there's a lot of reason to <clears throat> to think that, and it certainly could be an outcome, but I also feel like a lot of people either overestimate how much, again, gaming companies will go into the space, then they also sort of underestimate how much work it would take for kind of bottom-up grassroots projects such as Axie or something like that to come up from crypto with amazing titles. I mean, it takes time to build titles. Like it takes years and years, and we've only been doing this for a couple of years. And so I am actually more attracted to perhaps other verticals of NFT tokenization, like tokenizing blog posts and things like that, which by the way is also a very metaversal activity we could talk about. Well, I should
0: definitely have a conversation about that with you and into the Metaverse <laughs> podcast, because I'm thinking yeah. like, okay, how do we approach this as a business, as a venture? But this is a great segue to, would be great if you could take a couple of minutes and really share a bit more about CoinFund. What is the focus of the fund? What are the two, three unique perspective that you believe are at the foundation of the firm's strategy?
1: Absolutely. So CoinFund is no longer just. A fund, it's a multi-strategy crypto investing, investment firm. I am the founder and CEO of CoinFunds, I founded it in 2015. We actually just celebrated our seven year anniversary on July 1st of this year. As such, that makes us one of the sort of oldest crypto native and crypto focused firms in the market. The original thesis was essentially that I came into Bitcoin around 2011. And really started paying attention to, the blockchain space after reading Vitalik's Ethereum white paper in early 2015. And I immediately thought that, listen, like Bitcoin is cool, digital currency is cool, but there's a technology here that has gone sort of zero to one. It's created like a step function of innovation. And I'm really curious as to what it will do, like what it will be applied to. And after reading Vitalik's white paper, I realized like this is a new asset class of digital assets that can be applied to a wide variety of different applications, you know, obviously can make some bank processes more efficient, but that's really boring. It, you know, what I think after looking back on it after seven years, I think the core proposition of, of blockchains and really decentralized networks is that we can create a new model of producing products and services in a way where the users are also kind of the owners and participants in the network, and I think that's really cool. And so CoinFund fund is a multi-strategy firm. We have a few seed funds in 2021. We raised an $83 million seed fund. That was our third one. We just announced our venture strategy, which is a $300 million fund. We launched last week. We've had a liquid strategy, basically a hedge fund looking at high cap liquid crypto assets, and that's been in production since February, of 2020, and then we're going to continue to put products on the platform. I personally work mostly on the early stage venture side. I'm a technologist. I understand blockchain very deeply and everything that's happening here. And we work with our portfolio companies very closely and technologically to help them build their products.
0: So first, congratulations on the journey. It's not easy to build something and definitely not for seven years. So congrats on the announcement, I saw that. And actually that was one of my next points, and now the announcement of the new early stage Web3 Venture, 300 million, which is a pretty significant amount of capital to deploy in this rising domain. And so a question I have, because obviously working on raising capital for venture funds takes time, it's not something you started last month. How, if at all, as your thesis evolved, especially as you personally work on the early stage, Did it change or evolve in any way over the past six months with all of the transformation that are happening? If yes, how has it changed? And what are the things that you are really keeping a close tab on when it comes to the most prominent use cases of how Web3 technologies are going to be used to create compelling ventures and offerings to users?
1: I wouldn't say that our four theses have changed. We're still... We very much believe that there's a broad set of applications to blockchain tech. We very much believe that it will continue to grow and be adopted and can have a significant impact on many different areas. I think what, what always changes is the environment, right? Which of those areas are the areas of the moment? Who's investing in blockchain? Like for many, many years, it was all about institutions. It's like, when will institutions recognize that this is a serious asset class or space? I remember back in the 2013 Bitcoin era, I don't know if you were following Bitcoin, but if there was some local town newspaper that even mentioned Bitcoin at the time, the Bitcoin Reddit would explode and be like, oh my God, we've reached mainstream adoption. It was like a huge event. But really what we've been waiting for is for institutional investors. And for many years, they didn't come, but they did start to come about two, two years ago. And one of the reasons that we are not able to raise a $300 million vehicle these days is because there's now significant institutional interest. They've for two years, they've been studying the space. They tend to think that this is the next internet. And I would even say that our participation today is quite tepid, all things considered. Like they see it as like, let's try this out. And over the coming years, if it's more successful, we're going to put even more money into the space. And then the other environmental variable that's changing now that is so important to make all of this work. Is the basically like recognition by governments and regulators, that this is a real industry and um, these, this industry may require specialized legislation, specialized regulation needs governments and supporting innovation to help the entrepreneurs make it work. And it provides some really like unique upside and, and opportunities for people. I would say like, those are really like the axes of change.
0: So let's look a bit at the investments you've already made in companies like Dapper Labs, for those who don't know, creator of NBA Top Shot, CryptoKitties, Flow Blockchain, how do you, and others of course, how do you see the technologies being built by some of your portfolio companies contributing to potentially to the emergence of the metaverse? And that could be both at the infrastructure level and at the consumer use case level.
1: Well, on the infrastructure level, Dapper Labs is is an incredible example because this is a company that has taken it upon themselves to build their own underlying blockchain and have committed to decentralizing this blockchain over time. And in fact, I think that's, it just happened recently that uh, the flow blockchain became permissionless and that's super cool. So what I think is really cool is that flow and ecosystem around it are really quite tailored for metaverse applications. Some of the ways that the technology works, some of the affordances that it creates for kind of mainstream users are really valuable. And even on the programming level, like cadence, which is their smart contract programming language is a really like well-designed language for this type of smart contract programming. Like sometimes I hear when engineers go and start programming cadence, and realize how specialized it is for that purpose. They really don't want to go back to other languages like Solidity. I think that's super exciting. And so I think Flow is really helping to position the metaverse for mainstream adoption. And NBA Top Shot is arguably the most mainstream adopted kind of like blockchain application in in a way, right? Because it's one of the very, very few projects out there that have actually been able to convert like millions of mainstream users. Whereas if you look at other blockchain spaces, really, they're still quite populated by enthusiasts who are driving most of the volume and trading and things like that. And then I would say the other like really important core focus for us is NFT financialization. And so we've made really important investments in those types of companies. Like one in particular, I'd like to mention is upshot.io which is a company that uses machine learning to create reference pricing for NFTs. And today, Upshot actually prices over 12,000 different NFT collections, which is, I think that must make them the company with the biggest coverage in this area. And so why is this important? Why do we care about this type of pricing? Well, the reason is that NFTs have historically been this very kind of illiquid asset class. They are unlike fungible tokens, it's much harder to create liquidity. And the way that we've created liquidity previously is by saying, let's do a marketplace model like OpenSea. You list it, some counterparty comes along, we match you. And the problem with that is that's perfectly fine, but there's opportunities in in blockchain technology to make that so much more efficient. And so once you have this reference price feed that Upshot provides, you start to do like magical things you can now imagine a smart contract that you can transact with and sell your nfts to for a reasonable price you can build short selling of nfts you can build nft derivatives you can much more easily build indices of different kinds of nfts you can use nfts as collateral to get a mortgage for your house and like this set of applications is actually quite untapped today in blockchain like as much as we talk about it there's actually very few Products out there today that do it. One of those products, which is gaining a bunch of steam right now, is another portfolio company of ours called NFTFI.com. This is essentially a protocol where you can come in, put your NFT down as collateral, and receive a loan. So you can initiate liquidity that way. And so my prediction is, unlike what people thought in the past that NFTs are going to be very liquid for a long time, I actually think that NFTs will be just as liquid as tokens, if not more liquid as tokens in the sense that there's like many more non-fungible assets in the world than fungible assets. So those are things we think about.
0: Thank you. Thank you for that mention and the lesson on a few of your portfolio companies. I have a question to double click on one area, which is those quote unquote, more, more serious use cases, right? Of NFTs, for example, where do we, where do you think we are at the, at the evolution of other forms of use cases for NFTs just for reference for our audience today, as everyone knows, NFTs have been primarily in the zeitgeist from a perspective of entertainment. People create these fun collections, if it's the ape, or if it's collections like Dead Fellas, And I mean, there's so many collections, right? And Moonbirds and so on and so forth. These are all great, perfectly fine and acceptable use cases with a lot of potential. And I do still think they're in the very, very early stage of, of building tokenized brands and tokenized IP franchises and so on and so forth, where do you think we are in different type of use cases of NFTs and what are some of the two, three cases that you think we should keep an eye on for the next couple of years?
1: That's a great question. I'll tell you the story as I lived it. I watched NFTs essentially be taken mainstream by digital art. Digital art is now a minority of the GMV of NFTs and probably the majority of GMV and NFTs comes from collectibles like apes and and punks and so forth. And then there's this growing and significant use case of in-game assets, which we covered in the beginning. And then your question is like, where are we going next? Well, to me, like the most obvious things are digital content of all kinds. So if you start to generalize NFTs a little bit and start to regard them as maybe like a digital ownership or even intellectual property rights, potentially of digital content, that's the low hanging fruit. Now what digital content is out there? Well, music has been experimented with, and I can't say that music NFTs are super mainstream. And in fact, when I talk to people in that space, a lot of times they say, listen, the music studios are actually thinking about NFTs in terms of album art more than they think about it in terms of revenue streams. And so a lot of that narrative that this will transform music is a little bit on its head right now, but that's also because I think music is a, it's a tough industry to break into because a lot of the intellectual property is owned by these traditional incumbents who don't really have that much incentive to, to give it up. They
0: don't really want to transform music. Ex-
1: ex- exactly. <laughs> so I think it will take a while. And by the way, David Packman who's our head of venture investments at CoinFund, he used to work at Apple and co-founded the Apple Music Group. And he has like a lot of context into that music industry from being a kind of dot-com era entrepreneur of, and CEO of music, digital music companies. The other really interesting up and coming use case is blog posts, right? Like I'm very enamored with this use case because if you think about how many blog posts in the world have been monetized, it's like single digit percentages, it's very hard to tokenize writing, excuse me, monetize writing. And if you talk to a writer, they'll often say, I don't actually make money from writing. I'll put out a blog post and I'll get hired as a consultant somewhere. And that's how I make money. And so the fact that like companies like Mirror.xyz, you know, which is a web three kind of blogging platform, not on like medium or Substack, the fact that they're enabling us to now essentially tokenize every post and there are people who are collecting these NFTs and actually trading them on secondary markets creates this enormous opportunity to tokenize an asset class that has never been tokenized. That's what really gets me excited about NFTs. And then we can think about movies and podcasts and videos and streams and fonts and icons and stock photography and all of these different kind of digital media. All of that could go through the NFT sort of engine, so to speak. And then I think down the road, real estate and like the title to your car, those types of like real world assets can also be tokenized as NFTs. Altogether, that makes a multi-trillion-dollar market, tens and tens of trillions of dollars.
0: I think what I'd like to double-click on is what's the connecting tissue between a lot of those things you just described as potentially use cases? Is we're talking a lot about creation and creation, not necessarily by corporation, creation. Potentially by individual creators. If you talk about the blog posts, if you talk about even music to some extent, right? Even though it's it's a very different industry that is dominated by a handful of corporations. And if you've mentioned newsletters, which today primarily up until the example you shared with Miro, which I'm well familiar with and for our audience who is not, Mirror, as Jake said, is a new type of media platform that allows you to not only publish your content and newsletters as individual pieces, but also actually monetize them and turn them into NFTs that, as Jake said, you can make money on and also continue to make money through the royalties of your secondary sales. Still primarily, Substack has become this chagrin of, of newsletters mm-hmm. and writing. So there's obviously hunger for creators to, how do you monetize? How do you build a career? How do you sustain yourself and your family through your writing? So these are a couple of use cases that are going to be very interesting to keep an eye on that. I feel like it's also part of that the continued democratization of the creator movement, the creator generation, which until today, we've seen it with things like YouTube and TikTok, but these are not really places where the creators make money aside of advertising, right? There's some selling merch and, and sponsored deals and stuff like that, which could still be the case in Web3, but because of NFTs, there is the possibility. How big will it get? How much? How many millions of creators will join? I think these are the things that to be seen in terms of the adoption curve, but the technology is being built as we speak, which is yeah. what is more fundamental.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree.
0: So let's switch. Let's switch um, let's, well, not really switching. We're still on the on the Web3 topic. But th- there is, again, just both as a builder in the space, but also through the podcast and just talking to so many people, brands and executives and investors. Until now, let alone normal people who are not in the worlds we live in every day, 24-7, there's still a lot of confusion and this intertwining of metaverse and Web3. And for example, I have people who come to me and say, so Jan, if we launch an NFT, can we integrate that into Roblox? Right. And by the way, not a bad question. Actually, it's an excellent question because this is the dream of everyone. Why not? Why would we not be able to do this interoperable connection which everyone dreams about the metaverse to be that massive network of virtual worlds that is interoperable? You own your identity, you own your asset, you jump around between places, right? Like Ready Player One in twenty forty nine, just without the dystopian piece. And you know, I am in Columbus, Ohio, where Ready Player One happens in, in twenty seven <laughs> years from now. And so I want to shine a light on that in your mind, and perhaps even as a higher level perspective from CoinFund, how do you see the distinction between the two and how do you see overlaps between the two and how potentially they enable one another? Between Metaverse and Web3, who are distinct themes that I believe are being connected. And maybe just to set the stage, at least maybe give my perspective, and maybe it will open up a conversation here on the item. The way i see the metaverse and i've been speaking about this publicly a lot and on the podcast as well is at least in my mind the metaverse is is a few things it's first of all is the evolution of the internet from 2d to 3d the second element is that we're talking about hyper social virtual environment at a large scale so basically i am not only immersed in 3d world i'm also doing it with thousands and potentially millions of people at the same place. And the third one is the expression piece where I am manifesting myself as a person into them, into this virtual world through the form or the lens of a 3D avatar. And that is pretty, pretty powerful, a paradigm shift, right? That I'm gonna live in these virtual worlds as an avatar that has its own personality and outfit, and maybe I will have multiple avatars. And then on the other side, the way I think at least about Web3, and by no means I'm getting it all right, but the way I think about Web3, is the evolution of the internet from a platform, a corporation-owned platform, to a user-owned platform fundamentally, with all of the externalities that that means, the financialization, the assets, et etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. That is at least my point of view. And so, it, what do you think? How yeah. are those connected and are enabled or not?
1: I think so. I think you basically hit the nail on the head. But let me maybe let me give you like my sort of more detailed thought on please. This. Like the metaverse, I think will work the best and will unlock the most value when those particular like digital spaces are not like, to your point, are not facilitated by centralized entities, which is not to say that we shouldn't have any centralized entities facilitating metaverses. I'm just saying we should have the ability to create unfacilitated spaces. And I think what that does. That's true of a lot of like blockchain networks is I think it like increases the the willingness of people to adopt those platforms because they are neutral. Like why is blockchain so attractive to banks for settlement? Well, in a way it's because there's no reason why we don't have enough technology to settle banks and to have interbank communication. And when I used to work at finance, sometimes I worked on the fixed protocol, which is the standard that specifically enables the interoperability of banking data. Right. But what happens is like nobody wants to adopt those standards because they're not quite neutral and what decentralized networks do is they create an environment where the rules are a level playing field for all participants because they're encoded on a smart contract layer essentially or in a blockchain protocol layer. And that increases the willingness of participants to adopt it. And so in that light. What is the relationship of web three in the metaverse? Well, the web three architecture is the thing that will enable the metaverse to really thrive because it will actually help it achieve a broad adoption and it will actually enable this like public ownership of aspects of these things, which by the way, is another view. I recently did a podcast on like blockchains as public goods and that's a whole other topic, but it's related to the fact that users want to own these spaces. And that's what really makes the growth, the really big growth possible. And the other thing that you touched upon super important is this idea that this is a social technology. And in fact, like if you look at computing in general, like computing started as you know, Steve jobs in 1970s, like, like little enthusiast computer. And then we made those Home,
0: Homebrew computer club, homebrew, homebrew computer,
1: computer club, club right. Then we kind of built the internet. We built this whole technology stack. But by and large, that technology stack has been built in little shifts and very organically. And if we were to, like, rebuild the internet, if we were to be willing to, like, clean slate everything and just erase everything that we built, and knowing everything that we know now about computing, how would we, like, rebuild the internet from the beginning? I would think that we would rebuild it as a social computing platform. Because what we see is to do anything online, it's a social thing. It's like, you have your Reddit group, that's a social thing. But if you're starting a company, you've got to build a community around it. That's a social thing. If you're starting a DAO, you need participants who are highly engaged and united under one sort of mission for that to be successful. That's a social thing. And so when you look around the internet today, it's all social computing. And so what Metaverse Does is speaking to that trend? It's like, how do we make computing even more social, even more visceral, even more three D, as you put it.
0: I love that addition and detail you added, and I do agree with you. I think it's a great way to think about it. That if we knew what we know today, probably we would want to build a social computing platform. I think, to some extent, even Steve Jobs, as a visionary, I think it was always about unlocking the potential of humans. Right? Think of it. You know, as he described the famous saying. A computer is a bicycle for the mind, right? And I think there are other entrepreneurs that really worked hard to turn it into a social experience, even though the outcomes have been slightly different. And I'm talking about Facebook and Meta. But I think the takeaway from what you said or in this back and forth between us in the last five minutes is, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I may project something that may not necessarily what you intended, but summarizing for the listeners is the Metaverse could well emerge and it is actually emerging without decentralization. However... The centralization and a user-owned internet will allow us to fully realize the possibilities and the true potential of the metaverse as the next era of the internet. Would that be a fair assessment of the back and forth between us?
1: Yeah, I think you summarized it very, very well. And I would just add one other thing, which is that when I think about building out the value in the metaverse, because it is virtual, it's almost like there's no limit to how many Things you can build, there's no limit to how much land you can create. There's no limit to what virtual goods and services you can create within the metaverse and so the addressable market, unlike almost every other market out there, maybe with the exception of like space exploration or something is essentially that the addressable market is infinite. And we can't actually capture the value of that infinity until we create the structures that are willing to grow that big. And these like centralized corporate facilitator structures like we see today, like they just don't grow that big.
0: And you said something interesting about space. And I wanna make a comment, which might sound completely ridiculous, but I actually think it, there's something there and maybe I'll ponder about it a bit more after the podcast, But. When we think about space exploration, I do think of the metaverse as, as it's another form of space, quote unquote, exploration. We're talking about yes. taking humanity, taking human consciousness, connection, relationships to a whole new domain, a whole new stratosphere that although happen happens on Earth, it's completely new. No one really knows yet the true ramifications of a human connection at a global scale that primarily happens through 3D avatars. No one. My kids might know but not the rest of the world. And I think that's a very interesting phenomena to keep in mind as we progress in this decade.
1: And that's not a weird thought at all, actually, because if you consider that philosophically, like we might be living in a simulation, (laughs) if you're one of those people who (laughs) believes in that stuff.
0: Well, for those who watch The Matrix, of course, we're living in a simulation. It's not even a question. (laughs) So, Jake, you're meeting a lot of entrepreneurs and builders, and we have a lot of folks who are listening to the podcast who are either investors or entrepreneurs or partnering with entrepreneurs, and I'm personally curious about your answer here or your thoughts as an entrepreneur myself. What are some of the unique characteristics that you see in Web3 entrepreneurs that you back, which you believe are going to play an instrumental role in seeing new rising companies shaping the future of the internet?
1: Such an interesting question. I'll give you a perspective on that. I think in working as an investor in the space, we broadly seen actually not one, but two kinds of entrepreneurs. If I could characterize them broadly, it would be web three entrepreneurs and web two entrepreneurs who are coming into web three. What are the similarities and differences? They're all very talented, but in different ways. Web three, entrepreneurs they tend to be more technical more backend oriented they're building protocols they're solving incredibly difficult problems like zero knowledge proofs and zero knowledge roll-ups and scalability and interoperability protocols and things like this and they have relatively little experience of like of the type that I had when I worked at Amazon which is being customer facing bringing a product to a million users scale user experience and things like that. On the other hand, the web two folks are incredibly good at that. In fact, I have a number of my former Amazon colleagues now starting Web three startups these days they are super talented at those things, but they have relatively less experience in designing a currency, designing a digital asset token supply or a crypto economic system or reasoning about how a decentralized network should be built, could be built, how does the financial deal around that network work with investors and like what's important, right? And so we as investors, our core skill is bridging that gap. And if you're an entrepreneur, and if you actually look at all of the companies in crypto that have been very successful today, it's companies that tend to also bridge the gap between traditional world and crypto world, making, taking very disruptive properties and aspects of web three and making them available to mainstream or like normal users. Right. And so that's what we look for. We look for really talented web three people who also can build great user experiences, can take things to market, can bridge that gap. And we're looking for web two experienced entrepreneurs who have realized that there's insane competitive advantages to taking some of these properties of decentralized networks and applying them in this kind of mainstream product context and just smoking the competition. That's what I want to see.
0: That's a, that's super clear answer. And I think there's something very, um, simplifying in looking at it as two just very big categories of entrepreneurs and where they're coming from. And it's going to be interesting to see what are some of those big companies become. Obviously we talked about Dapper Labs and, and I've read a piece where, you know, Dapper and Flow are thinking about themselves as the, the blockchain for normies, which I thought is entertaining and also enlightening on the one hand. On the other hand, because all the other layers and solutions have been very, very technical, Although we're starting to see a bit more gradual improvement in the communication, the messaging of what type of brands this platform are building. But I think you've made it very clear, at least how you guys are thinking about it, the coin fund. And then the last thing I want to talk about, and a very brief question to, to conclude with which I ask all of our guests is. What's the one thing you would like the listeners to take away from the conversation today?
1: Well, I would say like, if you're in the space, if you're in the web three and like metaverse space, like a lot of people go around, it's a very patriotic idea that blockchain is inevitable in every vertical. And I, as an investor can clearly see that's not always true. There's some verticals where blockchain is innovating, creating new products. There's other verticals which have no product market fit. There's other verticals where the jury is out and there's still other verticals where it will happen, but it will only happen in the future. And the way that this space is successful is when people come in, understand the value and build companies, build products, build networks that demonstrate the value and power of some of these technologies. And so even though it is the bear market right now, technically in the space, it is an incredible time to get in on the ground floor and work in this space, work in the metaverse space, work in Web3, work in crypto, and really help to bring these amazing technologies to market. It is not too late. It is not just for technology people, not just for finance people. There's all kinds of skill sets that are absolutely required here because the set of addressable verticals is so broad. It includes art and finance and tech and architecture and legal and like everything else under the sun. So my message is... Come work at web three, check out jobs.coinfund.io. We have tons of openings in our portfolio companies. Come chat with us. We'll tell you more about it.
0: Jake, founder and CEO of CoinFund. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Okay. Thanks so much, John. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of into the metaverse. We hope you learned a lot and explored new aspects of the metaverse.